Hi everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of teaching and learning. I'm Ryan Rodzeski, here with Greg Baer. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Kim Smith, Executive Director of the League of Innovative Schools and the Center for Inclusive Innovation. An initiative of Digital Promise, the League is a national network that connects and supports some of the most forward-thinking leaders in education. First launched at the White House under President Barack Obama, the League's membership has grown from 24 school districts in 2011 to 114 school districts today, serving more than 3 million students. Together, its members design, validate, champion, and scale effective learning opportunities that advance equity and excellence for every student. Kim, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. We are so excited, Kim, that you're here. You are such a bright light in education and learning across this country, particularly as we think about inclusive innovation. And you know probably more than most that folks in education like to use a certain set of words, redesign, reinvention, innovation. And all of these words point to something, but they can also be very nebulous in what they mean. And of course, they mean different things to different people in different places. And we'd be hard-pressed these days to find a school district that doesn't describe itself as innovative. And surely lots of them are. They're doing incredible things in their own ways. So for the League of Innovative Schools specifically, what are the member districts doing differently from the other hundreds and thousands of school districts across this country? What makes them, by the League's criteria, innovative? I agree with you that particularly in the last 18 months, as districts and schools have essentially been in a must-have situation as it relates to technology and innovation. Every district is innovating in some capacity. I've been at Digital Promise for four years, and over my time at this organization, what I have learned and seen is that where innovation starts with the league is the mindset of our leaders. And I use this term, the innovator's mindset, when I refer to the superintendents and district leaders that are engaged in the league, mainly because their goal is not focused on what I call point solutions, one-to-one technology, maker learning, STEM pathways. Their focus is through this lens of the system and even the ecosystem of the community where they reside. Within the league, our leaders focus on the design of the infrastructure, the policies, the practices that will ensure that innovation is not just a moment in time or to address a crisis, but an enduring systems-wide approach across the board. The other piece about the league is that this is a set of districts that want to be at the table with researchers, with entrepreneurs, with communities in co-designing education innovation. And so we have several initiatives focused on the intersection of equity and innovation that we call inclusive innovation, where districts are at the table with teachers, with students, with parents, in creating equity-centered innovations. Kim, can you give us an idea of what the work of these innovators looks like in practice? Is there a school district or a school leader or two that really excites you right now? What is that particular district doing that's worth paying attention to and worth learning from? Yes, I certainly can, although I always say I don't play favorites, but I'm happy to share uh, some examples. Innovation 
for Digital Promise is not necessarily about the new technologies, the bells and whistles. It's around really these innovative systems and school level models that support the whole child. And so when we think about innovation, one example is Middletown City Schools in Ohio. Superintendent Marlon Stiles there has really put Middletown on the national map as a leader in thinking differently about how he's supporting his students in a high poverty environment. And he has taken an initiative forward around bringing healthcare into his schools, physical doctors and dentist offices, and worked partnerships where families can receive healthcare at no cost because his goal is to keep his kids healthy. Some folks may not consider that to be true innovation, but from the lens in where we set, thinking about partnerships, thinking about communities, thinking about the ecosystem, that does fall in the category of innovation. There's other folks such as Mike Nagler at Mineola Union Free School District in Long Island, where he's created a systems-wide competency-based badging system that starts with kindergarten. Now it's going all the way up through K-12 so that parents and students can understand progress. And he did this work before there were platforms to understand progression and competencies. And then the last one I'll utilize is Richland Two School District in South Carolina. Superintendent Baron Davis has launched the Premier 100 program, which is a district-wide initiative to recruit 100 black male teachers, which is one of the most aggressive district goals in the country. And he's really out in the forefront of diversifying his workforce and creating really culturally competent environments for students and their experience to make sure their identity is valued in their learning. Kim, you've just identified three extraordinary superintendents whom we too respect and admire. Dr. Stiles, Dr. Davis, Dr. Nagler, and just thinking about their geographies. You've got Middletown, Ohio, you've got Long Island, you've got Richland too in South Carolina. It's evidence of the league's geographic diversity. You've got 114 school districts across 34 states. So they're spanning coast to coast, every part of the United States. And so thinking about that context and circumstance that can be so different from large metropolises to small rural areas, school districts in some cases serving tens of thousands of students, others serving just thousands of students, how do you facilitate their working together given their unique needs And what kinds of things are these school districts working together on? How are they learning from each other? The collective of districts represent every neighborhood, demographic, size, and it enables Digital Promise to research and understand what teaching and learning looks like in various contexts and codify that. One of the aspects of the league that's such a benefit is this peer-to-peer learning model. So even if I'm a small district in the Midwest, I can learn from what an urban district on the coast is doing because they're able to see the innovation take shape. We invite districts to come together as a cohort. They apply to be part of a project and we have a tiered model where districts can engage. Core districts where they roll up their sleeves because they want to contribute their thought leadership, their capacity, their experience to the R&D process directly. Then we have pilot districts who say, hey, I want to be part of this work and learn and be part of the research in our implementation of what's created. And then we have scale-up districts that are the ones that want to utilize innovations, models, and programs when they've been developed and they've been implemented and tested. And we have several projects in motion around secondary writing, how we build equitable data systems, how do we recruit and retain teachers of color, 
How do we support students in providing the support for executive function in math and that intersection? So a number of initiatives are in play that districts can participate in. In another episode of this podcast, we spoke with Dr. David Miyashiro, who's the superintendent of the Cajon Valley School District in Southern California. That district is a member of your league. And I'm thinking about him. I'm thinking about the superintendents you just mentioned, people who have been able to offer free health care in schools, something that we never think a school district offering. Our guess is that when you put folks like that in a room together, you hear some pretty bold pretty amazing ideas. And I'm curious if you could tell us about some of those big ideas, some of those major projects you just alluded to. What happens when they start talking to one another? You know, we're three years into implementing this approach to R&D, and it's been really incredible to see this take shape and how they share ideas and how their contribution to the work as a collective takes an idea from a very nascent space to being a bold idea. I also want to say that in school districts, some of the boldest ideas are solving very rudimentary, potentially bureaucratic issues, right? So for example, we had an initiative two years ago with seven school districts on supporting real world learning. So how do you bring real world experiences both into the classroom and how do you enable students to go out in the world and experience real world learning? And we had districts from California, Ohio, from across the country working on this project together. And one of the difficult aspects of districts supporting real world learning is literally the amount of paperwork that needs to kind of go back and forth for a student to even engage. Even solving that challenge together, smoothing out that process challenge on the back end enables them to do the bold ideas on the front end. And the bold ideas in what we created was a roadmap for teachers to implement real world learning. We developed a strategy tool that enables districts to work in partnership with their communities to co-design a real world learning strategy. This is Greg Bear along with Ryan Rudzeski. We're talking with Kim Smith, Executive Director of the League of Innovative Schools and the Center for Inclusive Innovation. In 2020, with your leadership, Digital Promise launched the Center for Inclusive Innovation, which you lead in tandem with the League. The Center for Inclusive Education exists to reimagine research and development in education by resourcing the ingenuity and enabling the self-determination of black, brown, and indigenous students and communities. And you wrote upon launching the center that, quote, My dad and his 11 siblings were raised in a three-room house with no running water in rural Ohio. Despite the incredible odds stacked against black children in the United States, all 12 graduated high school. That is true education innovation. Can you tell us more about that, Kim? And how is the center learning from, supporting, and helping to sustain inclusive innovation? I like to think that I learned education innovation from my parents who earned their high school and college degrees despite incredible forces pushing against African-Americans who were trying to simply make a living and provide for their families. And still to this day, it is an uphill climb. You know, I've been in the education sector for over 20 years, and I'm almost all too familiar with the methodologies that are utilized and the fact that people of color and people experiencing poverty are rarely, if ever, engaged as equitable partners in imagining and designing and developing education innovation. And what's striking to me is on a daily basis, 
in communities across the country that are in high poverty, communities of color, people are pushing through the most difficult marginalized situations. And it's those folks that have the ingenuity and creativity and entrepreneurship than most, and they're not at the table. And so the focus of the center and the core of it is this idea that we want to wholly change whose voices are heard at the R&D table, so to speak, right? Who's involved in the process of imagining and designing what education can be? We purposely center this notion of context expertise. Context expertise, that lived experience, is as valuable, if not more so, than content expertise. That trust and relationship building is the first step you take when you're trying to think about how education can really support populations that have not been respected in the education sector and systems. So this is what the center's meant to do. We are focused on bringing district leaders, teachers, parents, students, community members together at the table. The problems of practice are more representative and reflective of students and their voices. And we are watching the equity in these environments happen real time. And we have protocols where we're trying to really make sure that we're being intentional about this work. So that's, that's the work that we're doing with the center. You wrote in that same article, Kim, out of this endeavor will emerge new and differentiated models, tools, programs, and products that are created by and supportive of the needs, interests, and dreams of black, brown, and indigenous students and families. Can you tell us what are some of the specific projects that are underway as part of the center? What does the journey look like from that lived experience that you mentioned to, say, a pilot project? So within the center right now, we have about seven projects that we are undertaking. So an example is the secondary writing project that I mentioned to you earlier. So we have three school districts from across the country engaged in the project. And so we do the due diligence around the district and their capacity and their readiness to engage in very deep equity-centered work. And it's important to have community at the table. We create a a co-leadership model where the district leader is co-leading with their communities. So we think very clearly about the core team. So who's in the room and there's a design of the team. When we think about secondary writing and we think about who needs to be at the table, we want students at the table. Students that are struggling with writing being relevant, feeling that their writing is not uh, good enough. And so we want to hear and prioritize those voices. We have data equity, which has about 14 districts that are engaged in creating equitable data systems and looking at their data through the lens of equity. We have a project launching in September on open education resources for social justice, where we're going to be co-developing with uh, about 12 districts across the country to create professional development resources for teachers to have discourse in the classroom around racial equity and social justice. And we have a really exciting project that I'm so excited to start with eight districts who came to us to design systems that reflect anti-racist approaches in terms of policies and practices. It is exciting, and it's so uplifting, and we are so grateful, Kim, for what you do to lead the Center for Inclusive Innovation and also the League of Innovative Schools. Truly, thank you for your leadership. Kim, how can people find out more about the work you're doing with both the League of Innovative Schools and the Center for Inclusive Innovation? I always refer people first and foremost to www.digitalpromise.org. 
where you can find information on the League and the Center for Inclusive Innovation. We host a lot of webinars, and so if you sign up for our newsletter, you'll hear about our webinars that are happening on an ongoing basis. And are those open to educators, parents, communities, all the above? That's correct. Anyone who wants to come in here and learn and share, it's uh, open for all. Also, we are going to be, fingers crossed, right, hosting convenings. We hope they will be in person starting in 2022, but we're going to be inviting all sorts of stakeholders to join us and share the work that's being done around the country, and we'll also share the work that we're doing. Before we go, Kim, just one more question, please. What's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner? There's just an opportunity to think about the role that the community plays in education. You know, I was at a conference last week and had a conversation with a set of superintendents around the role of community. And my hope, one of my hopes coming out of this pandemic is that there's a seamless interface between the role of schools and community. And I think that parents and families working in partnership to think about how student learning is supported both in school and out of school and trying to make that a seamless connection is really where I'm hoping is going to be one benefit of the past 18 months. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning, a Pittsburgh-based network of people and organizations that ignite engaging, relevant, and equitable learning practices in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. Learn more at remakelearning.org tomorrow.